want to invite you this morning, take your Bible, turn to the book of Acts, the book of Acts. Uh, it's often called the Acts of the Apostles. We might call it the Acts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit as well, uh, as this book is just absolutely filled with the supernatural power uh, of the Spirit of God. And praise God for that this morning. Uh, this morning we'll begin a new series in the book of Acts. Lord willing, we'll make our way through uh, this book in the coming weeks and months. And I pray this morning that this will be a a great encouragement to us, a great encouragement. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Uh, we'll briefly take a look at some introductory issues and then jump right into the, the text. Let's bow our heads. Father, we do thank you this morning for your words, uh, for the Bible. Uh, Lord, thank you for giving your words through this wonderful uh, supernatural inspiration process. And thank you, Lord, for uh, your faithfulness to preserve these words just exactly as you've promised uh, throughout the Bible. Lord, thank you this morning for this excellent uh, translation of your inspired and preserved words in our King James Bible. Lord, thank you so very much for the accuracy of our Bible. Lord, we count it a privilege this morning to be able to open the Bible and study it together. Lord, to be instructed by you and to be built up by you, to be encouraged by you. Father, I pray this morning as we embark on a new series in the book of Acts that our hearts would be, uh, yes, perhaps to be reminded of things that we've seen before, but uh, also perhaps to learn some new things that perhaps we've not seen before. Uh, Lord, to uh, distill out principles that uh, can be applied in the most practical way to our lives, uh, to our church, uh, Father, to understand doctrine that will give us a, help us to have a, a better, more complete understanding of you, who you are, what you're like. Uh, Lord, I pray that would be a, an encouragement to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I thank you this morning for the privilege to teach these words. I pray you help me to do it well this morning. I most certainly need your help. I ask you for it this morning. Lord, I thank you this morning that we can count on you for grace, for strength, uh, to serve as you call. And Lord, I'm so grateful for that this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll help each one now as we dig in. Uh, Lord, uh, help us to be uh, good students of your words now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the book of Acts this morning, the book of Acts. I have a, uh, an introduction. It's a one double-sided page, and I should have sent that out. I'm sorry I didn't, but we'll leave these in the foyer, and we'll post this on the website as well. Uh, it's just a, a good uh, high-level overview uh, of some of the uh, things that we would typically cover in introducing uh, a new book. For example, who is the writer, the, the human penman? Of course, the, the words, Brother Ray, are given by the Spirit of God, but uh, Luke is the man who had the privilege uh, to pen down these words, and uh, we'll see that uh, throughout the book and, and come back to Luke and his, his role here. We understand Luke was uh, evidently a Gentile man, uh, Paul excluded him from uh, among the companions of those who he called the circumcision in Colossians. Uh, in Acts uh, 1, in, here in <laughs> chapter 1, uh, verse 19, Luke also refers to Hebrew, uh, the language, as, as their proper tongue, not, not his. So uh, he evidently is a Gentile. Of course, uh, Luke is a physician. Scripture reveals that. Uh, Luke accompanied Paul on 
uh, at least a portion of his missionary journeys. We'll see that before the book is done. Uh, Luke, of course, is the penman of the Gospel of Luke, and so uh, he has the privilege to uh, basically uh, have penned down uh, this sort of two-part um, two-part volume, uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, covering the earthly ministry of Christ, uh, and then the book of Acts, uh, which is really a transition book, right? We've said that many times. Uh, its, its place, its role in Scripture is, is a transition from the time of Christ's ministry uh, in and to uh, the, the early development and authentication uh, of local churches, the authentication of local churches at Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, um, the missionary work that we see uh, in and throughout this book, the, uh, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in all of this. Uh, all of these things uh, will be themes that we see throughout, uh, throughout the book. Uh, we see, uh, importantly, Luke has um, a very high view of Scripture. There's no doubt that uh, he understands that he's penning down scripture, but that he also understands that that that, that has been given before uh, uh, his own writing is is the word of God, the words of God. He he uses the phrase word of God at uh, 13 times throughout the book, and he makes at least 110 references uh, to Old Testament passages uh, throughout the book, and so clearly. Uh, he views, he has a very high view uh, of Scripture, and he, he had a very high view of the Old Testament. He um, otherwise simply would not have made that number of references to it. Uh, of course, we understand he did that as he was led and inspired uh, of the Spirit of God. We'll, um, I want to just give you quickly uh, the overview in terms of the outline. There we go, the outline uh, of the book. If you look down here in chapter 1, in verse 8, uh, chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, here uh, Luke records the Lord's promise, ye shall receive power uh, after that the Holy Ghost is come unto you, uh, and ye shall be witnesses. And then the balance of the, the uh, verse here uh, is really the outline of the book. He says, ye shall be witnesses unto me, uh, both in Jerusalem, that's the first part, uh, and in all Judea and Samaria, that would be the second major division uh, of the book. That, that second division would be roughly uh, chapters 8 through 12. And the final main division of the book would be the spreading of the gospel uh, through Paul's missionary journeys unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That would be chapters 13 through 28. Uh, so uh, here in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, you really have uh, an inspired outline of the book. And it's, it's uh, valuable, of course, to look at the book uh, in, in this threefold division that the Lord has described uh, here in the first part of the book. So uh, I have uh, this introduction, uh, quick introduction that I'll leave in the foyer this morning. Uh, it has some of that material and much more, and I would encourage you to grab one of those and, and just read through that this week, uh, if you would. With that said, uh, let's jump right in. Uh, let's jump right in. Uh, we're here in Acts chapter 1. This first chapter uh, details that 10-day period uh, between the ascension of Christ, his bodily ascension to heaven, uh, and the day of Pentecost that we'll see 
uh, in chapter 2. So that kind of helps us to understand how this fits on the timeline uh, in Scripture. Uh, let's just jump in. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, Luke writes here, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles uh, whom he had chosen. So Luke here is writing, we see, as he had done with his gospel, uh, he addressed the book specifically uh, to this man uh, named uh, Theophilus. Uh, go back to the first phrase here, the former treatise. Uh, you probably already understand this, but if not, get this down. Uh, that, that's clearly a reference to Luke's gospel. He had addressed his gospel to Theophilus. He is addressing, um, he's addressing uh, this book, this uh, second um, uh, letter uh, to a man whose name is Theophilus. So that's an interesting name. Uh, not a bad name at all. Theophilus literally means lover of God, lover of God. If you look at the word, it's uh, the name, it's Theo uh, followed by Phyllis. So Theo, of course, would be uh, a reference to God. Uh, and Phyllis, uh, one of the uh, Greek words, uh, phileo, uh, one of the three Greek words that we see translated love in the New Testament, uh, he is literally a lover uh, of God. And so uh, that's a good name. <laughs> I'm not surprised we don't see that name uh, being used more even today. Uh, Theophilus, uh, a lover of God. We don't know too much uh, about who this man is. Uh, Luke applies the title most excellent uh, to Theophilus. Paul uses that same title when he addresses Felix in Acts 23 and Festus in Acts 26. Uh, and so some have concluded that Theophilus may have been a person of rank, uh, perhaps a Roman officer. We can't know that for sure, but that's an interesting uh, possibility. It's quite possible that this is a man um, who was of some rank and position uh, of Roman authority who has uh, come to knowledge of Christ, but more than that, faith in Christ. And so he's blessed with the privilege of being the initial recipient of Luke's uh, two writings here. This is, a, uh, this is a possibility, certainly. Look at verse 2. Uh, Until the day in which he, Jesus, was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles uh, whom he had chosen. Uh, this is the first of many references uh, to the Holy Ghost, to the Holy Spirit um, in the book of Acts. Uh, the Holy Spirit is mentioned at least 50 times uh, in this book, more than 40 times. Uh, he is called the Holy Ghost, and there's at least seven times in which he's called uh, the Spirit. Of course, uh, the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of the Trinity, uh, the triune Godhead. Uh, he is uh, clearly uh, demonstrated uh, throughout the book of Acts uh, to be a personal being as much as God the Father and God the Son. Uh, God the Holy Spirit is a personal being. Uh, in chapter 5, we see he can be lied to uh, and tempted. In chapter 7, uh, we see he can be uh, resisted. Uh, he's a personal being, not just a force 
uh, like gravity. Uh, he has, the well, Spirit of God has various ministries that we see here in the book of Acts. Uh, he has a ministry of comforting. Uh, we see this in chapter 9, of commissioning, uh, chapter 13, of directing uh, God's servants, uh, chapter 16. Of course, he has a role in appointing pastors, chapter 20, uh, as well. Uh, we praise God this morning that the Lord has been faithful uh, to his promise to send the Spirit uh, to indwell us. And you understand this morning that the moment at which you repented and placed your faith in Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, came in, uh, indwelt you, and regenerated you, made you a new creature uh, in Christ. And the various ministries that we'll see the Holy Spirit performing in the books, book of Acts are now ministries that uh, he performs to us. And uh, what a joy that is, what a thrill that is, that um, these, are, these are benefits that we enjoy today uh, of being Christians. And praise God for that. Uh, verse 3, uh, Luke is uh, describing Christ now. He says, to whom also... Uh, he showed himself alive after his passion, after the cross, uh, by many infallible proofs. Uh, infallible proofs has the idea of irrefutable evidence. Uh, Christ went to the cross. There's no question uh, about that. A man named Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, went to the cross. Uh, even secular history uh, records that and, and does not question that. Uh, he was buried. Secular historians do not question that. Uh, what they question, of course, is his uh, bodily resurrection from the dead. But um, we have many infallible uh, proofs, irrefutable evidence that he was dead, he was buried, and that he, in fact, did rise again uh, on the third day. And so Luke makes this statement. He showed himself alive after his passion, after the cross, by many infallible proofs. Uh, he was seen uh, of them, uh, his disciples, 40 days, uh, and speaking of the things pertaining to uh, the kingdom of God. Uh, there, there are uh, many places in Scripture that record um, the appearance of Christ after his resurrection and his ministry. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 5, the Bible says he was seen of Cephas, Peter, then of the 12, uh, the disciples. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren uh, at once, all at the same time. So, uh, you know, that right there is 512 eyewitnesses to the fact that uh, Christ bodily uh, resurrected from the grave. Um, he says here uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. When uh, Paul wrote those words, uh, most of those who had been eyewitnesses were still living. He says some are fallen asleep, some have died, but the majority uh, were still alive in that day. He says after that, verse 7, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And uh, last of all, he was seen also of me, Paul writes, as one born out of due time. So there is ample <laughs> evidence recorded throughout uh, Scripture, throughout the New Testament, to the resurrection of Christ. We praise God for that. Uh, many, many eyewitnesses uh, made reference to here. Look, look, if you would, quickly at the end of verse 3. Interesting phrase here, and since this is Sunday school, it, it bears uh, spending a moment on this. 
Uh, the last part of verse 3 says uh, of Christ that he spoke of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Uh, we want to take a moment and differentiate the kingdom of God uh, from the family of God. I think often kingdom of God, family of God, are sometimes there's a tendency to view these as a reference to literally the same exact thing, uh, but that's not exactly the case. Uh, kingdom of God is used by Jesus uh, in John 3, 3. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, uh, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom uh, of God. Uh, we understand that this phrase, kingdom of God, is a reference to, uh, you might say, the realm of regeneration. Uh, those New Testament believers uh, who came to faith in Christ uh, at a time when the Holy Spirit had been given uh, to indwell, uh, and therefore believers could be regenerated. The kingdom of God uh, would be a reference to these New Testament believers uh, who have the privilege of having been regenerated by the Spirit of God. Of course, that would be the case for anyone uh, saved this side of the giving of the Holy Spirit uh, after the resurrection of Christ. Uh, that would be the kingdom of God. Whereas we have another phrase, uh, family of God, family of God. Paul uses this phrase in Ephesians 3. There he says, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family uh, in heaven and earth is named. Uh, family of God would seem to be technically a reference to uh, saved people encompassing both the Old Testament and New Testament uh, dispensations. So. Uh, you understand that in the Old Testament, uh, people were saved uh, through their faith in the Messiah who would come, uh, just the same way that we're saved in our faith in the Messiah who has come. Uh, neither those Old Testament believers uh, nor us, we who are living today, have had the privilege to see Christ, and so faith is indeed uh, required. <laughs> faith is required. Uh, we're, of course, saved by grace through faith today, the same way that those living in the Old Testament were saved by grace uh, through faith. Uh, Abraham believed, and his belief uh, was accounted to him for righteousness. Um, and so uh, while those Old Testament believers were saved by grace through faith, they did not have the privilege of being regenerated by the Spirit of God. The Spirit was with them, of course, but not yet given to indwell them. So uh, we have these two different phrases, kingdom of God, New Testament people regenerated by the spirit of God versus family of God, which would be a reference to all saved people throughout all time, both the Old Testament and New Testament uh, dispensations. Everyone belongs to the family of God, regardless of when they've been saved. Uh, New Testament believers belong to the kingdom of God. That would be probably the best way to understand this. Now, uh, moving forward uh, into the next portion of the book, we have here um, really the focus uh, is on the promise of the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit, uh, the power of the Spirit, the purpose, if you would, uh, and, the, and the plan, the Lord's plan uh, to use the power of the Spirit of God in the life of New Testament believers for the purpose of carrying out the Lord's plan, uh, which of course is the Great Commission, uh, the Great Commission, the giving of the gospel to lost people 
so that they can uh, enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, this, this is the, the focus of the next uh, several verses. So uh, let's jump in here. In verse 4, uh, Luke is still uh, referring to Christ, uh, his ministry. Uh, verse 4, the Bible says here, And being assembled with them, uh, Christ, with his disciples, and being assembled with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, uh, but wait for the promise of the Father, uh, which, saith he, uh, ye have heard of me. So uh, we have here Jesus' command to his disciples uh, after his ascension, they were to uh, enter into Jerusalem and to wait there uh, for the Holy Spirit to be given to indwell them. Um, Luke had earlier recorded Jesus' promise uh, of the Spirit as well, back in Luke 24 and verse 19. Uh, the Bible there says, Jesus said, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So uh, again, this instruction given uh, and repeated, you'll wait there in Jerusalem until I pray and the Father sends the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, to indwell you, uh, to enable you with spiritual power, supernatural power, uh, to carry out his plan, his purposes, uh, the Great Commission. John, of course, uh, records uh, this same promise in more detail in John chapter 14 and verse 16, uh, Jesus says, I will pray the Father, uh, speaking again to his disciples, I will pray the Father, I'll ask the Father, uh, and he shall give you another comforter, uh, another comforter, uh, capital C on comforter, right? It's a name or title that's given to the Spirit of God. Jesus says another comforter, the idea is of the same kind, Christ, of course, was one who comforted his disciples, but he's, he's promising that when he is gone, the Lord, he would pray the Father, would send another comforter, uh, another of the same kind, that he may abide with you forever. Uh, Jesus would go away for a time, but the Holy Spirit would be sent to comfort, to indwell, uh, to empower them forever. Uh, there in John 14, 17, same passage, he says, even the spirit of truth, there the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth, which the world cannot receive because it seeth him not uh, and knoweth him not, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Uh, that is a theologically important verse, and the last phrase there uh, is, is critically important to understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, before uh, the Father sent the Spirit to indwell believers versus after. Uh, you understand, we've said many times, before the Father sent the Holy Spirit to indwell New Testament believers, uh, none had the Spirit in them. Rather, the Spirit was with them. Sort of picture the Spirit of God beside a believer uh, versus an indwelling presence in the believer. Jesus said, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be, after he prays and the Father sends the Spirit, shall be in you, uh, in you. So it's a uh, with you versus in you change. And of course, this is a, this is a wonderful 
wonderful change. Verse 18, he says, Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. Uh, I will come to you as well. And so that's, that's an important promise as well. Look at verse 5 uh, in our Acts 1 passage. Uh, here, the Lord continues, for John truly baptized with water, but, uh, so there's a contrast being made here, point of contrast, but ye, uh, speaking to his disciples, shall be baptized, all of them shall be baptized uh, with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Now, of course, there's a great deal of controversy uh, about spirit baptism. There's no controversy about the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells, has regenerated, and continues to indwell all New Testament believers. Uh, there's very little controversy about the idea, the notion that as we yield to the Spirit of God, uh, we are filled, uh, we are enabled especially by the Spirit of God uh, for ministry purposes. Where there's controversy uh, is the ministry of the Spirit, um, Holy Ghost baptism or Spirit baptism. Uh, there should be no controversy that Christ promised this phenomena to his disciples. He did. We're reminded of that here in verse 5. Uh, and we know that the Lord fulfilled that promise to them. Uh, there should be no controversy that we can see spirit baptism in the book of Acts uh, four times. In chapter 2, we see the Jews at Pentecost are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that's accompanied by the temporary uh, sign gift of tongues. We see the same in chapter 8. The Samaritans uh, experience spirit baptism. We see the same in chapter 10, where the Roman Gentiles experience spirit baptism. And we see the same in chapter 19, where the Greek Gentiles experienced spirit baptism. Uh, and yet we do not see that um, in the historical timeline afterwards. We do not see uh, tongues in scripture uh, after that. And so uh, we conclude that spirit baptism was promised um, as a temporary phenomena and that it was fulfilled uh, by the time we get through chapter 19, it was fulfilled uh, and no longer in force. And so I think that's an important distinction to understand. And, and admittedly, there is some, some controversy about that. The, uh, the controversy uh, would seem to be related to this uh, Protestant notion of a universal church or spiritual body of Christ, uh, which some have held to. Um, the idea being that uh, just as you are baptized by water immersion into the membership of a local church assembly, uh, that there must necessarily, if there is a universal spiritual body, there must be some spiritual way that you're baptized into uh, that body. And so many have held uh, Pentecostals and Charismatics who hold to this universal ch church ecclesiology have held that there must be some spiritual way that even today believers are baptized into that entity. Well, we don't, we don't believe that that entity is taught in scripture, and so we do not need a, a supernatural process by which one is baptized into uh, that entity. What we see in scripture are local assemblies, water baptism, uh, indwelling of the spirit, uh, empowering, enabling of the spirit as people lead to the spirit. We do have spirit baptism promised to the disciples um, as an authentication 
uh, of the local church and a special enablement empowerment of local churches for a temporary time uh, and then having been fulfilled uh, that prophecy being fulfilled uh, we no longer see that as something uh, that that shows up in scripture that's important uh, it's important we do not hold to the teaching of spirit baptism as a mechanism of adding people to a universal assembly uh, we see the Lord working in and through local churches and adding them to the assembly uh, through the, um, through the, the um, water baptism. I'll get it, I'll get it out. Um, that may be new to you. Uh, that may ruffle your feathers a little bit. Certainly we don't want to do that, but I do want us to be uh, well aligned on what scripture teaches and what is for today versus what was uh, happening in this transitional book of Acts. And so uh, if that's new to you or unsettling to you in any way, I'd be happy to talk with you about that and um, work through that together. Uh, we could take some more time and work through it in a little bit more detailed manner. But it's important that we be well aligned. The book of Acts is a transitional book. Just as we see tongues being used during this transitional time um, as part of spirit baptism as authenticating the uh, local church as, as God's new institution, uh, working through this transition. Once that transition is completed, we don't say tongues. Uh, we certainly don't need spirit baptism. And so uh, that's important to understand this, this distinction. Let's move on. Uh, let's move on. Uh, verse 6, uh, so Lord promised the Holy Spirit. That's the important takeaway. The Lord promised the, the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God, and God being a God who keeps promises, uh, well, that's exactly what we see. Verse 6 says, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again uh, the kingdom to Israel? Uh, Lord, is it your intention to be uh, an earthly political uh, leader that will uh, take power from the Romans and, and restore uh, power and authority to the kingdom of Israel? Uh, they, they were looking for that to happen uh, in that day. Of course, it wasn't an unreasonable uh, question. Verse 7, he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons uh, which the Father hath put in uh, his own power. Verse 8, he says, but ye shall receive power uh, after that the Holy Ghost uh, is come unto you. So again, a reiteration of the Lord answers by reiterating his promise uh, of the Spirit uh, to indwell them uh, for the purpose of empowering them uh, to carry out the Lord's purposes. Now, uh, we see here um, in the second part of verse 8, uh, the purpose of that power uh, is come on. So he says, that, verse 8, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And, so this connects the power to the purpose Ye shall be witnesses unto me. We saw this already, right? Unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So, again, this is very important. Uh, the Lord here, Christ, connects the promise of the giving of the Spirit uh, and the power, the empowerment that would come uh, with the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God for the purpose, for the purpose of being witnesses uh, to the Lord, to the gospel, 
uh, first at home, and then a little bit further out from home, and then unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And the book of Acts, what, what follows after this chapter, is exactly that. Uh, it is a record of the Spirit of God being used in the lives of men of God uh, to carry out this purpose of being witnesses to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, in a nutshell, if you will, uh, what the book of Acts really is. It is a record of the power of the Spirit of God to enable uh, believers to carry out uh, this purpose, even in the face of the most difficult situations. Uh, we'll, of course, look at Paul's um, missionary uh, journeys and all of the difficulty that he faced uh, throughout those journeys, and yet the Lord's purposes uh, were accomplished. How? Power of the Holy Spirit in that man's life. We look at the world today and we say, uh, it's, it's such a difficult uh, world today. People are not interested uh, in the things of God. People are distracted by all of the trials that we're facing in the world today. Uh, the world has been so secularized today. Uh, people have essentially no knowledge of scripture, uh, the Lord, uh, and, and spiritual things. You know what, those, all of those statements are true. Everything that I just said, all of the pushback that, that we get from people today, those things are true. I don't, I don't want to minimize the difficulty that we face in carrying out the Great Commission today. Uh, I don't know, however, that it's any more difficult today than it was in the first century. You understand that uh, most of the people that Paul went to in his missionary journeys, it's not that they weren't religious people. They were religious. Uh, they, they were practicing all kinds of false faiths, goddess, goddess worship and uh, all, all of the different kinds of false worship uh, that he encountered. Um, and and I, listen, that's true today as well. There's all kinds of false worship uh, being practiced today. Um, perhaps the, the difference today is that the world is more secular. That, that might be a difference. But uh, I think the point is this. No matter what the world looks like, no matter what people are doing spiritually or not doing spiritually, the Spirit of God remains just as powerful today uh, as he was in the first century, in, in Paul's day, in Luke's day. And so if we have the same Holy Spirit, we can reasonably expect uh, to be able to be as obedient as Luke was and as Paul was. It's up to the Lord to produce the results that he desires in and through that obedience. Uh, what we can do is our part, uh, come to the Lord, seek his power, seek his strength, seek his leading, yield ourselves to the Lord in, in his plan, uh, and go forth and give forth the gospel, uh, asking the Lord to produce the results that he desires. Uh, this is the book of Acts. It is a record of the possibility of that being accomplished, even in the face of uh, the greatest difficulties. And it should be uh, a great encouragement to us today. That which was possible for Paul uh, and Peter and Luke remains possible for us today, despite all of the difficulties. 
And so we'll revisit that thought as we make our way uh, through the book. I'll stop there this morning. Lord willing, we'll pick it up here uh, next week and continue forward. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you this morning for this uh, incredible book. Uh, Lord, it's, it's a wonderful record of the power, of your power, in the lives of men who are yielded to you. Lord, I thank you this morning that um, just as Christ promised that he would pray and that you would send the Holy Spirit to indwell us, we, we are in fact indwelt by the Spirit, enabled uh, by the Spirit of God today for the ministry purposes that you've called us to, that you've called us to today. And Lord, I thank you this morning that each of us today uh, who's been saved and, and baptized into a church has a a place of ministry, a spiritual gift uh, to be exercised in that place, and strength from the very same Holy Spirit that Luke wrote of, and that Peter knew, and that Paul knew. Lord, I thank you this morning that we have the very same power in the person of the Spirit of God available to us today. Uh, and so, Lord, we can carry out the ministry purposes that you call us to as individuals and as churches. Lord, help us, help us, help us to get a hold of this idea. Uh, we, we are called at times to things that seem practically impossible, uh, and yet we understand that we uh, worship the one true God who has supernaturally, supernaturally strengthened us and empowered us to carry out um, things and purposes, your purposes, that would not otherwise be possible. Lord, it's a great privilege this morning to serve you and to know uh, your commissioning upon us and to know your strength to accomplish that. Lord, I pray that our focus uh, throughout this study would be on you, uh, your desires, and your enablement of your people to carry out your desires. Father, I love you this morning. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.